their pocket and know, okay, here's what, and, and they're, you know, it's just this group that God uses to work on me. Okay? And because lines tend to indicate you're supposed to wait. I don't like it. It's a four-letter word. Anybody else in the room doesn't like to wait? Anybody like to wait? You just love waiting, okay? You don't, maybe I'll hire, there's always one in the group. You love to wait. There's always one. It's like, were you born late or what? I don't know. <laughs> waiting, okay. Waiting. Well, it, it really fits into what, we're, what I'm going to talk to you about today as we start this Christmas season. Uh, because we're going to talk about the set time of God. The set time of God. The set time of God. This issue of the timing of God, it, it, it becomes quite a challenge. Now, when, when we look at our Bibles, we understand that the Bible is divided into two parts. You have the Old Testament and you have the New Testament. The dividing line of those two Testaments is actually what we are celebrating at Christmas, and that is the birth of the Lord Jesus. It was the coming of Jesus to earth that literally divided the Old Testament from the New Testament. Over here in the Old Testament, we have multiple promises given of a coming Messiah, a Redeemer, a Savior, a King, who was going to set things right and bring about God's purposes and plans on earth. And that promise was given, but it wasn't fulfilled until you get over here to the New Testament. And, and what you may not know is that the Old Testament ends with the book of Malachi, and the New Testament starts with the book of Matthew. But between the Old Testament and the New Testament, are you ready for this? There were 400 years. Not four days or four months or four weeks or four years or 40 years. 400 years of waiting. 400 years of wondering, where's God? You ever, you ever been there? Maybe, I, I know you haven't been in a 400-year, but sometimes just four days. It's kind of like, I got the promise. Now, God, where are you? I, I got the dream. I, I, I prayed the prayer. Uh, I even maybe got a word spoken over me. And I, I thought it was God, and I'm here, but I'm waiting for that set time of fullness of the promise. When the Apostle Paul writes to the early believers about the coming of this promise of Jesus to earth, in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, this is the way he penned the words, and this is my text for today. Paul says, but when the set time had fully come, I want you to grasp that phrase. When the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Wow. Now that's a great act of God. 
But the tough part is that first phrase, when the set time had fully come. The set time. The set time of God. You see, here's, here's what I believe. I believe God has a set time for His purposes and His plans. I'm going to give you another shot at that one because I want you to get it. I believe God has a set time for His purposes and His plans. And I believe that the purposes and the plans of God always involve people and people groups. You see, the plans and purposes of God involve people like you and me. Groups of people like nations that God uses in order to bring about His set time to fullness. Historically, we we look back to the time when Christ was born and there are at least three good reasons why this was an historical good time. And it's not just Bible scholars who understand this. Historians understand the unique time in history that God sent Jesus to earth. But it was, it was a time in which God had used the Roman Empire to establish an incredible system on earth. There are three advantages that we got from the Roman Empire. Number one... From the Roman Empire, in fact, if you want to take notes on the back of your handout, there's a little outline there. So number one is is the word peace. The first thing that we got from the Roman Empire is because of their military conquest, they had literally conquered a major part of the known world in Europe, the Middle East, Northern Africa. And because of that, the Roman soldiers were great at keeping the peace. Because anyone who wanted to cause a problem immediately got in trouble. So the Romans were good at establishing peace. It was a relatively peaceful time in that part of the world, unique in history. Secondly, the Romans gave us roads. Roads, incredible roads. In fact, you can travel in Europe. A few years ago, Cindy and I met with some of our missionary families in Spain. And I was amazed that in Spain, there are still roads that were built 2,000 years ago by the Romans. Think about it. Wouldn't it be nice if they could build our highways? Okay? Just just think about that. 2,000 years ago, they built these roads to connect cities with cities with cities, and all roads eventually led to Rome. And literally, because of the peace and because of the roads, for the first time in history, people were able to travel rather easily and freely between various states and cities and countries. So they gave us peace, they gave us roads, and number three, they gave us a language. You look historically at that period of time, and because of the Greek influence upon the Romans, most of the known world operated in the Greek language or the Latin language. So even though they had their own native language, they would also learn Greek or Latin in order to be able to communicate with each other across the vast Roman Empire. Now, you and I today, in the year 2017, we look back in our rearview mirror and we see all of that, right? And we go, wow, that was a perfect time for Jesus. But here's what I I understand. I've lived long enough to get this. 
is that often it's easier to see God's work in the rearview mirror than it is to see it in the present. Come on, this is good stuff. You see, when I'm living in the circumstances, it doesn't seem so good. And if I come down a little closer to what was going on 2,000 years ago in the nation of Israel, it would not have been such a great time for them. There were some reasons for them that it would have been really a difficult time for the Messiah. Two reasons. Number one, for the nation of Israel as a people group, the nation of Israel was under Roman rule. That meant they did not have their own sovereignty. They could not make their own laws. They were even restricted in their worship. They were restricted in what they did because Rome was the boss. Now, not only was it a difficult time for the nation of Israel, but I got news for you. I know we read the Christmas story to our children and our grandchildren and we romanticize about it. Next weekend, we're going to have a, a great celebration. We got children and we got music and we got all kinds of things that are going to go on. We're going to have, you, you, if you're, you need to bring your whole family and friends. It's going to be an incredible weekend. Saturday night, Sunday morning, you want to be here, I'm just telling you. We do all that. It's, it's awesome. But what we never see in any pageant or movie about Christmas is the conversation that Mary had with her mom after the angel. Have you ever imagined that? Because you see, Joseph and Mary were not married. She's going to have a baby and she don't have a husband. Now, you can make it sound as sweet as you want to make it sound, but I got news for you. That conversation with her mom and dad probably didn't go too well at first. We know it didn't go too well when she told Joseph about it, right? Because the Bible says when Joseph found out that she was pregnant, Joseph was like, ew, whoa. And when she said, it's okay, Joseph, it's God's baby, I'm, that's when Joseph said, I think I'll just kind of get away from this one. He was going to put her away privately, which is a nice way of saying he was running away. Weird woman. Not going to put up with this. So... To protect things, the same angel that showed up with her showed up with Joseph and said, Hey, Joseph, it's okay to take her as your wife. What is conceived in her is from God. Yeah. If I'm Joseph, you know what I'm doing? I'm saying, okay, time out. I'll do that, but could I ask a favor? Would it be okay if I kind of get her parents and my parents and we all get together and you show up and tell them that for me? I mean, wouldn't that be a great way? Like angel here will kind of, you kind of, you know, kind of tell everybody else so that it's not just us two that know this. I mean, let's face it, folks. Regardless of how convincing you are in your argument, everybody's going, yeah, yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah, it's okay. You're going to get kind of looked at strange. And in that culture, for a girl to become pregnant, unmarried, was actually an offense that allowed stoning. And that's not with drugs. Okay? It was a deadly encounter. And 
all of a sudden Mary is faced with the potential consequences. And Joseph decides to protect her and go ahead and take her to his wife, knowing that she's carrying somebody else's baby that I guess is God's. And trying to explain that to everybody or nobody. And here's what else I believe about the Christmas story. The Bible says that as all of these events began to transpire, that Mary cherished these things in her heart. Well, that, that literally means it was kind of rolling around inside of her. Trying, have you ever had something, things going on that you're trying to make sense of and it just doesn't? And you wake up at 3 o'clock or 4 o'clock in the morning and your brain is rolling it around and you can't figure it all out? That's, that's what was going on with Mary. And it didn't just happen one time, but it, it began to happen as, they, as Jesus began to grow up and these things start happening and more things happening. Then he goes out into this ministry and he's announcing that the kingdom of God is here and that he's the Messiah. And, and Mary's troubled and, and she's got this promise from God that this child is going to be the savior of the world. But there's this gap of some 33 years for Mary. And right over here, she watches him nailed to a cross, breathe his last breath, and she participates in putting his body in a borrowed tomb. She had the promise, and now she's at the tomb. What she doesn't realize is she's only three days away from it all making sense. Come on now, this is good. Sometimes you don't realize you're only a short distance away from it making sense. Right now, it's dark. Right now, it looks like you're lost. Right now, it looks like the dream's over. Right now, the enemy says it's dead. But God says, just hang on, baby. I have a set time. Come on. God's got a time. When the set time had fully come. You see, I, I think in, in honesty for, for Mary, I, I think it was not until after the resurrection that everything else made sense. Sometimes we only realize the hand of God when we see it in our rearview mirror not when we're walking through it. Because when we're walking through it, the pain and the disappointment and the frustration and maybe the anger of having to wait is too heavy of a load. And we wonder, where's God? Now that same scenario you can play out in, in multiple places in the Scripture since we're at Christmas, we, we, there, was a, there was a Joseph in the Old Testament, some of you may remember. He was, a, he was from a large family. He had a bunch of older brothers, and he's the little guy in the family. And his dad takes a special liking to him, and his dad spoils him rotten, even gives him a special coat so that all the other brothers and everybody in town knows that Joseph is the special one. And what, he, what does God do for a spoiled teenage boy? Most scholars think he was probably around 14, 15 years of age, and God gives him a dream. Now, if I, I've always said if I was God, I would have given him a major case of zits. 
you know, a great way to humble a cocky kid. Instead, God gives him this dream that he's going to be a ruler. And he goes out, dumb idea, goes out and he tells his parents and his brothers, I'm going to rule over you. Don't share some of your dreams. So little thought. Joseph has the dream. His brothers get angry. His brothers sell him as a slave, tell his dad that he died. He goes over to Egypt. He winds up in the house of Pharaoh. God blesses him. He gets in big place in Pharaoh's, in, in Potiphar's house. And then Potiphar's wife puts a hit, you know, tries to hit on him. He rejects it. She lies about him. He goes to prison. But he hangs on because he's got this promise. He hangs on in prison. He hangs on as a slave. One day in prison, all of a sudden, the ruler of Egypt, the Pharaoh, the king, has a dream and nobody can interpret it. And somebody remembers there's this guy in prison who interprets a dream. And in one day, the set time of God, Joseph goes from the prison to the palace and becomes the number two man in the entire nation. Wow. The set time of God fully comes. Now, you, you, you fast forward in the Bible narrative some 400 years, and, and, and there's another child that's born. An Israelite woman gets pregnant. They're, they're, the Israelites are now slaves in the nation of Egypt. There's a new Pharaoh who's ruling the land, and this new king prince over Egypt he, he makes a rule because the, the Israelites are growing so large that he says that any male baby is to be killed on birth. A woman becomes pregnant. You can imagine she was probably pr hoping that her child would be a girl so it could live. Her child is born. It's a boy. She calls him Moses. She hides him so that the authorities can't find him and kill him. And while he's hidden, he happens to just be in the, just happens, right? Just happens to be in the right place where Pharaoh's daughter comes by, hears him crying, gets him out of the water, and decides to adopt him as her own child. And for 40 years, Moses is raised in the house of Pharaoh. He gets the best education, the best food, the best of everything. Life is great. But there's a problem, and that is that Moses was born by God to be the deliverer, not to just enjoy the palace. And so at the age of 40, Moses decides to help God out, and he's going to deliver the people with his own strength. And how many of you know, sometimes helping God out doesn't help anybody. And sure enough, he gets in trouble, and he has to flee for his life. And Moses spends the next 40 years in the desert. I have a strong feeling that in those 40 years, Moses was living between the gap of the promise and the fulfillment, and he was wondering, did, did I blow it so bad that God can never use me? That God can never fulfill his promise? Is God just going to use somebody else? Are my dreams gone? Moses didn't realize that in the desert, the timing of God was working. Because God knew he was going to need somebody that could lead people through the desert. 
So he had to have somebody who had some desert training. This is good stuff. Come on. You're walking through a desert and you're walking through a tough journey today and you're wondering why God doesn't get you out there and why God doesn't deliver you. Learn the lessons where you are because God may be getting ready to use you to pull somebody else through their desert. Oh, that's a good one. Yay, God. At the age of 80, Moses hits his set time. At a burning bush, God says, go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And Moses says, I don't think he's going to like that. I don't want to do that. But God began to show him, I've been getting you ready for this moment, Moses. You know what, how it works over there in Pharaoh's house. You know how it works in the desert. You know what the Jews are like now. Come on, Moses. I've been preparing you for this moment. It's time to become a leader. And Moses walks them out across the Red Sea, across the wilderness to the promised land because of the set time had fully come from Moses. Wow. I'm hoping you're catching a pattern here that we're celebrating at Christmas the consummation of the set timing of God for the fullness of the redemption of mankind, of his purposes and his plans. And that even is working today in in people and in people groups. I I mentioned at the beginning that Cindy and I just spent some time in Southern Asia. It was a first for us. We We have never been a part of an initiative to reach what is known as an unreached people group. We were in a part of the world that by law is 100% Islamic. By law, it is illegal to even possess material or literature that is anti-Islam. You can be arrested. The Bible is not even available in their native language because every time they have tried to translate it, the translators have been arrested or killed. It is a beautiful, beautiful place on the planet but it is an incredibly dark place. The oppression is very real. And yet there are men and women who I consider incredible heroes of the faith who have felt a call of God to give their lives to help open the door of the gospel in that part of the world. For their protection, I can't share their names nor their faces. But I'd like to tell you one story. I'll call him Mike. That's not his real name. He was one of my hosts, and we got to spend some time talking. And if you know me, another thing about me, my kids will tell you, when I meet somebody new, I have about 64 questions that sometimes go to about 640. (laughs) If I have a chance, I just, I love asking questions. So we're sitting down having a little afternoon tea, and so I start asking Mike questions about where he came from and how he wound up in that part of the world. Mike is from the state of Tennessee, raised in a wonderful Christian family. His mother and father were workers in the church. They were in the corporate world. They were successful in their business life. At the age of 15, Mike was in a church youth group, went to a church youth convention, and at that youth convention, he felt a call of God to missions at the age of 15. 
There was another young lady in that same church, much like him, same sort of family, mother and father, successful in business, workers in the church. At that same youth convention at the age of 14, she felt called to missions as well. They struck up a friendship. That friendship eventually led to a dating relationship that was blessed by both of their parents. They shared with everyone they knew that their goal and their dream was to someday get married and go to the mission field. He graduated a year before her from high school. He went off to Bible college to begin to prepare himself. During that first year of Bible school, they stayed in touch. He asked her father permission for, to marry her. Her mother said she's got to complete at least one year of college before you can get married. So he said, okay. So they planned their wedding for June after she finished her freshman year, his sophomore year. A month after they got married in the month of July, he started having headaches, went to the doctor through a series of tests. They discovered that Mike had leukemia. The doctors, after testing, gave him a 40% chance of survival if he would go into a special treatment program. They got him into the program. The program lasted two and a half years. For two and a half years, every week, Mike had to be taken to the hospital to have chemo treatments. It literally destroyed almost every part of his body. He told me honestly that he does not remember most of that two and a half years because the drugs were so powerful it literally erased parts of his memory. His 19-year-old bride was forced to become his caregiver. For better, for worse, in sickness and in health, had a whole new meaning. The treatments were so strong he wasn't able to take care of his own bodily functions and she was forced to do that for him. Their faith never wavered. They believed God had given them a promise. And with the faith of their family and friends, they walked that journey for two and a half years, believing God for a miracle. And they got their miracle. Mike survived the leukemia. And after two and a half years, the two of them went back to Bible school to complete their journey. One of the dreams of their life was that they wanted to have a family. But the doctors had told Mike that because of his chemo treatments, it would be impossible for him to have children. So during their senior year of Bible school, they began to pray about it and ask God for help. Nothing seemed to work, so they began to talk about the possibility of adoption. Two weeks after their college graduation, they discovered that his wife was eight weeks pregnant. Pretty amazing. It really was. The doctors were a bit surprised, but the baby was born healthy. And a few months after the baby was born, the family of three left to serve God in a very difficult part of the world. Their faith was strong because of the journey they had walked through. Two years later, they had their second child. And two years after that, they had their third child. And two years after that, she became pregnant the fourth time. And near the end of her fourth pregnancy, she began to develop some physical problems and the doctors discovered she had a heart issue. So she was brought home. They decided the best thing to do was to take the baby early, which they did. The baby was healthy and fine. 
They told Mike and his wife that his wife would need to have a heart transplant. Their faith had been built so strong from what all they had been through. They told the doctor, we're okay with that, but we'd like to talk to somebody else. They went to talk to God. And God brought a miracle. The heart began to repair itself. She never had to have a heart transplant. Today, Mike and his wife and four children are serving God in one of the most difficult places on earth. It's dark. It's foreboding. And yet when you talk to them, there's no sense of woe is me or feel sorry for me or have pity on me. Because they remember a promise that they got when they were 15 and 14 years of age. And they simply have walked the journey and the timing of God. And they now see themselves in God's set time to bring his kingdom of light into the middle of darkness. And they're thrilled that God's letting them be a part of that. Now there's a few side notes to the story. I obviously have shortened a whole lot of their journey and the pieces, but in this process, their parents obviously were very involved helping them and praying with them and walking them through this. And as a part of that spiritual journey, both of their parents, one in one set were in their mid-40s, the other set were just a little over 50, felt the call of God themselves to go to missions. They stepped out of corporate America. One set of his parents went to Kenya and served God building tabernacles in Kenya. And a team of people from Christ Church a few years ago worked with his dad in Kenya building a church there because of the funds that this church gave. Her mom and dad wound up in Central America in a country called Belize. They were working with students and young adults and they were trying to get inroads into the public schools and the universities and they decided that sports would be a good way to do that so they contacted Southwestern Assemblies of God University and they talked to the basketball coach and asked if he would send the basketball team to Belize to do clinics and play exhibition games against their university teams and share their testimonies for Christ we heard about that when the team was going to go to Belize and so Christ Church actually raised an offering to help support the team in their journey while that team was in Belize one of the local pastors who was over the Bible school asked the team if one of the members would like to speak for the Bible school chapel service one of the young players on the team volunteered and said that he would be glad to speak it was his first time to ever publicly speak. He called his mom and dad in the States to tell them that he was going to be speaking. And he asked, would you pray for me? I remember that phone call because that was my son. It was Brendan who preached his first sermon in Belize. And a pastor that was there at that chapel service asked him, if he would preach the following Sunday in his church and Brendan preached the next Sunday in that man's church 
And it was a set time of God for Brendan because it was there that God confirmed a calling he'd put on his life as a little boy. And when he got back to school, he changed his major from business to Christian ministry. And now he's our executive pastor. The timing of God. When the set time had fully come. What if today could be your set time? What if this moment, it looks really dark, but maybe you're just one day away from the palace or the empty tomb or the Red Sea being opened? It may look like God's on vacation and he's been kind of quiet. But what you don't realize is when you look back, your rearview mirror, you're going to see that God was moving circumstances and it, people and all of this stuff was working together to get you right here in the timing of God. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads for a moment. Even those of you watching me online, would you just whisper a prayer right now and would you just say, God, what are you saying to me? What is God trying to say to you today? Could this be your time? To encounter the fullness of what God is wanting to do. In just a moment, our prayer teams are going to come and prepare to minister in prayer. I believe there are some men and women and young men and young ladies in this room today that God has ordained this moment for you. You may be a guest or you may be a regular member, it doesn't matter. You may think it's just an accident or a coincidence that you walked in this place today or you're watching me online. But it's not an accident and it's not coincidence. It's the providence of God. You see, you being here today, it's not an accident, it's an appointment. God has an appointment for you for his time. I'm going to ask everyone in the room to stand with me today. I want to pray a prayer. And then Mike is going to lead us in a course. And as we worship today, some of you need to take a step. The Bible says if anyone is in trouble, they should pray. We believe in prayer. That's why we have these prayer teams across the front of our room. They want to pray with you. They want to help you discover the timing of God. So, Lord, right now, I pray for men and women, young men and young ladies that have gathered today. And I ask the Holy Spirit of God to break every lie, to break every deception, to break every barrier that has been put up between them and your timing for their life. 
And Lord, I pray that today, as your spirit draws them, that they will respond to what you want to do in their lives. Whether that dream is about a relationship or about a financial issue or a physical issue or a spiritual issue, whatever the dream is, God, I pray that today would be their day to lean into you and to receive your direction through prayer. God, I pray over these prayer teams. I ask you that you will anoint them this morning with words of wisdom and words of knowledge. May you give them gifts of discernment, gifts of faith, gifts of miracles, and gifts of healing. May the Spirit of God equip them today to minister to your children. In the name of Jesus, I speak victory for your glory.